All right. Hi, Romeo. Hey, Chris. How are you? I'm yeah, doing well. Good. A um, uh, couple things. Uh, yeah, really excited about um, having you here. A um, couple things. Just wanted to welcome everyone um, to another episode of uh, Marketing Ops Confessions. Uh, hopefully, we have a really good uh, discussion here. I'm pretty sure that we will, given given Chris and I have connected in the past, and you know, might uh, might have a lot of insights as well as you know, kind of uh, um, fairly. Um, I would say kind of salty comments around the industry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not too salty. Yeah, not too salty, but like relevant, right? In, in, in a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so excited to have folks um, attending this. I see a lot of new people um, that's joined as well as, uh, as, as regular ones. Um, and yeah, very excited to be hosting this. Um, this is, I think, season five of... Uh, Mops confession. So it's been a it's been a really good role so far. And and again, thanks for everyone for supporting the series. Um, and that's, for those of you who haven't met me, uh, my name is Romeo Leone. I'm the VP of Customer Success at Madkudu. Uh, been with the company for a little bit over six months, and um, you know, really really love learning about customers. And and to be honest, like this series has helped me a lot in terms of understanding um, understanding sort of our main customer, which is a Mops uh, professional. Right. Um, and then just a couple of housekeeping items. Um, feel free to introduce yourself in the chat. Um, for those of you who are watching, um, feel free to ask questions right during the conversation. So we have a, another moderator who will likely pick that up and let us know um, to, to answer those questions. And then also, if you want to get connected um, to, to Chris and, um, and everyone else at Madkudu, feel free to put your LinkedIn profile in the, um, in the chat. And, uh, and and we'll do that. So that being said, I wanted to introduce Chris. Very excited to introduce Chris Willis. Um, so Chris is with Trimble, and he's Trimble's global marketing operations manager. He's also a Marketo champion. So uh, welcome, Chris. Thanks. Welcome, um, Romeo. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah, us too. So and before we dive in, so I'd, I'd love to have you tell us a little bit about your background, um, your current role at Trimble, and then like, how did you even get, you know, how did you stumble your way into, into this industry? <laughs> I think that's a comment that a lot of people um, give is that they kind of stumbled in this industry. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of background. Um, so I, back in 2004, I got my MBA in marketing at Indiana. I was previously doing web development um, back when, back in the early days, um, and went back to get my MBA to actually do brand marketing. Um, so I do have like a, like an affinity for like all of you guys that do brand marketing, all the people that we support that are involved with like messaging and brand marketing. Um, and um, after, after graduating, I uh, actually landed in kind of some sales support roles, um, somewhat product marketing, somewhat sales support, um, and kind of retained some of that technicalness of that I like left before I went to kind of, before I went to business school. Um, worked in roles in, um, in field sales support, um, did um, um, kind of solution consulting for, yeah. uh, for Teradata. Um, and by, so I, 
Yeah, I was in sales. Awesome. Um, so, and then um, I, and then I essentially landed into a sales operations role, which I somewhat landed into somewhat accidentally. I wanted to get involved in CRM and kind of what now is called marketing automation, um, like digital marketing, demand generation, that type of type of thing. Yep. Um, landed a job with a startup um, in doing doing kind of marketing analysis and essentially set up their sales, their Salesforce instance, which, which put me accidentally, like I stumbled into sales operations in that, okay. in that world. So yeah. I was in sales operations for a couple of years, had great experiences with it. Um, and I worked kind of like a natural progression, right? Folks kind of go into sales or, or when companies, particularly like startups, you know, scale, like one of the first mm -hmm. things they probably build out from an operations perspective is a sales ops function, right? Mm -hmm. and they, as they mature, they build out the MOPS function. And then they then realize there's kind of like this greater revenue operations function mm -hmm. within this industry, right? So you also have like CS operations, right? And then those yep. kind of fall into an umbrella of revenue ops. But uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I could talk a little bit about that experience. So I actually worked hand in hand with um, with a, my marketing ops team. We were using Eloqua at the time. Mm -hmm. I think I had heard about Marketo, um, but I was work. You know, I was kind of a marketer in a sales ops body is kind of the way I would describe myself. Um, I always had this kind of ambition from being from my business school days of going going into marketing, um, and an opportunity presented itself about three years into that role and uh, where I would own both sales and marketing operations. And they had this thing called Marketo, which mm -hmm. is like, you know, my love and joy now. Um, <laughs> probably shouldn't tell my wife that, but um, I love like Marketo. Um, um, and had the opportunity to build out, um, kind of build out their marketing operations um, over there. In fact, when I got when I got over to um, it was McKesson's um, revenue management um, services okay. um, business yeah. unit, um, and they had bought Marketo. They were doing doing some campaign things with it, but they weren't really seeing an ROI with it. There was really no operations associated with it. Okay, um, and so I saw this as an opportunity to kind of move so literally over no to the marketing world that would drive success of. Of the tech step, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, there was questions that I was asked to, you know, asked to answer, like how is our SDR team doing? Or we called it like an MDR market development um, mm -hmm. rep team. Um, we, you know, dev I developed like a lead lifecycle from scratch, which I do not recommend. I definitely would recommend that you bring some experts in that know a little bit more what they're doing, especially if you're as green as I was, um, because I think you really need to throw like your first, I think your first year in marketing operations, especially if you're like a, a team of one, um, you should probably throw away everything that you did during that first year, especially if you didn't have some help from the outside to kind of guide you, um, okay. which yeah. is definitely where I was back in 20, 2012. I knew enough to be dangerous and I leaned on um, subject matter experts in my own company, as well as our um, Atlanta Marketo user group, which uh, one of my fellow champs, Jenny Robertson, leads or 
Um, and that group helped me a ton in helping me kind of become um, what I am today. Um, so fast forward, I, I've worked for like several, like several organizations I've done. Um, I've owned marketing ops. Um, um, and I've been, been in the agency world. Um, didn't, didn't really, um, didn't really kind of suit me too much. Um, so all you guys in agency, I think we talked about when we were doing the prep, prep call that we should have like an agency confessions call at some point. Um, but I love, I learned a lot in, in a lot agency of world. that way, right? Like, you do get a lot of saltiness that way. <laughs> that is very true. Um, yeah. and yeah. I did some freelance and landed at, um, landed at, um, Trimble about a little bit less than four years ago after doing some freelance, you know, some freelance, some agency, um, I contracted, um, with a group, um, that was looking to implement like Salesforce marketing cloud, uh, which if you're in a B2B space, I would not recommend. Um, but that's another conversation for another day. Um, and I've been with Trimble for about, you know, almost four years now. Um, I'm their global marketing operations manager, um, which in one sense, I'm like heading up and leading kind of how we govern our marketing autom automation, marketing operations processes. So like all things like GDPR, um, how we execute um, campaigns and programs, um, as well as um, I work as like kind of as an internal agency. So all the benefits of the agency, so being a thought leader in an organization, yeah. um, but without like, you know, the having to bill hours and that pressure to like the pressure to like have to account for all of your hourly billable time, which is right. probably right. the primary reason I didn't really like the agency world. If you, if you had to kind of nail it down. Yeah. Makes sense. So like, I think you know, you and I have in the past have talked about um, just the professional <laughs> of, 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 of kind of building out the mops kind of professional, you know, um, funnel almost right if you think about it mm -hmm. right uh, so like i think your comment earlier it's it was interesting it, it, it seems like most people that go into mops literally stumble accidentally into the role right um mm -hmm. so the question here is like like how do we build you know essentially like the top of that funnel such that you know folks that want to get into and don't even know about this profession can can literally learn right and and get enabled to 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 essentially be um, you know mops professionals, right? So what mm -hmm. and why do you think that's important? Why do you, why do we need to build like the top of the funnel for for this profession? Right. Well, I think this is also going to kind of segue into like another topic we're going to talk about, which is like mental health. Um, it is it is very important, like one for our career growth. Like if we're if we're not able to reproduce ourselves, then you're going to see this phenomenon that like you see in a, with a lot of mops professionals where they like essentially career growth is I gain more and more and more expertise in my tool um, or in marketing ops um, and how I get career growth opportunities or new experiences is essentially a hop from company to company mm -hmm. and essentially go into kind of a bidding war similar to the way like a, a quarterback in an NFL team would like, the quarterback is not going to like grow into anything else other than a quarterback during his playing career. Uh, but essentially, except if you're he's going team. from team to right. 
(laughs) (laughs) Right. So like if we're going to grow like in like corporate America doesn't work necessarily like like being one of the 53 members of like an NFL football team. Um, Essentially, if we're going to grow in our career, ultimately, like we need to find a way to like to replace ourselves, like transfer our knowledge to um, newer people in the in in the marketing ops function that can handle a lot of the day to day that we started out with, like, you know, managing the can't, you know, doing the campaign ops, uh, managing the life cycles, managing the scoring programs, all of the, you know, all the tactical stuff that we do. Um, and so one thing I see in a lot of the team of ones is that, you know, we try to juggle everything and, you know, ultimately, you know, ultimately if we're going to grow and like, there's a whole other, other discussion that I'm probably not prepared to talk about because like my experience isn't so great in it, but like, how do you, like, how do you negotiate for like headcount? Cause that's, that's a very important like piece of the puzzle. Um, that's something I need to grow in is like, how do you convince senior management that they should spend, you know, X number of dollars bringing in new headcount um, to the organization. That is a really interesting topic. Yeah. Yep. But ultimately like how a lot of, a lot of organizations grow and including my organization. So I'm a team of two. So I've grown from a team of one to a team, team of two is generally you, you find people, that they themselves somewhat accidentally end up in marketing operations for, mm-hmm. you know, and it's usually because they ha- they meet, like they meet certain criteria, like that make them good candidates for marketing operations. And then, and then they've got to be somewhat inducted into the role. Like we need to kind of give them the, you know, give them the, give them the red pill and, get them to kind of enter the marketing operations role and see everything that's kind of underneath the surface. Yeah. Um, and what, what are sort of the qualities like kind of um, like skill sets that have you found critical, right. To, to making sure that when you hire someone, right. Mm-hmm. Into the marketing ops uh, profession, right. Even if it's sort of entry level, like that they're going to be successful because in CS, right. right there are specific things that I, that I looked for in, in, in mm-hmm. CS that uh, I found that it has been a, um, you know, a pretty good formula from company to company to company. So I'd love to understand. Right. Yeah, and I, I'm sure the, the crowd um, will also want to understand sort of what you look Yeah. Like. So number one, I mean, you have to have some technical aptitude. You know, um, I, don't, I don't myself consider myself like to be an uber technical person. Um, that's, that's my own MOPS confession. I did not like enter MOPS ex- anticipating being this uber like dev mops type of professional like if you're if you're recruiting somebody for like a dev mops role like you would definitely want to look somebody look for look for somebody that does have a pretty significant it background um but but people that go into marketing ops should have like technical aptitude they should understand um they should understand you know understand process understand like how to like how to build things that are repeatable and scalable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, when we talked, like talked earlier, you know, there is no, like, as far as I know, somebody else could like fact check me on this, but there's no, there really aren't a lot of university programs out there that right. 
teach marketing operations. There's not like a major in market, you know, in MarTech or marketing operations. I think there probably should be, you know, um, especially as, as our, as our role and our function continues to grow. But most of the time you're, you're well, in like a certification program for marketing ops, right? Um, that, yep, exactly. I think that's a totally kind of greenfield opportunity, right? That, that, um, that I'd love if people have kind of opinions on that and, um, and also sort of just, um, you know, some of the questions I've been asking Chris, if, if you guys have any, you know, input or thoughts into sort of the qualities you look for when you're hiring people, I'd love mm -hmm. to know, but uh, keep going, Chris. Yeah. Um, so I definitely look for, like, I would look for, like, beyond that, more of, like, the soft skills. Like, yeah. so, you know, they, they need to be able to um, operate cross-functionally. You know, you... Um, a level of curiosity because ultimately like there's no, there's no training program for, for marketing ops or even for most of the marketing automation systems. It's, it's a lot of learning on the job. Um, generally speaking, when you get trained, you essentially get trained on the end of the basics of the platform. And then it's kind of, and then it's up to you to figure out like, okay, how do I use this? How do I use this as a, in a best practice way? Mm -hmm. um, and that requires curiosity it requires somebody that's willing to kind of go in there and tinker with the system, um, learn from their mistakes. Um, somebody's willing to make some mistakes, and um, and also for a management team that you know accepts that that, mista that mistakes are going to be made because um, all of us have had the boops moments um, sure. where yeah. you know mistakes been made, leads got deleted that weren't supposed to be deleted. Um, email went out to, you know, everybody in the database, and then you have to send the apology email. Um, and somebody that's like, it's afraid to, um, you know, afraid to make those mistakes and also can't pivot very quickly to adjust to like these ambiguous circumstances. Yeah. Those are the, you know, I think we talked about like, you know, being able to deal with ambiguity. Yeah, that's super important for me, uh, particularly for for sort of when, you know, the companies that have joined in the past, like fairly kind of early stage, right, where things are still fairly ambiguous, like you don't have a playbook for every single thing that, that, mm -hmm. that you need to do as, let's say, a CS professional. Um, and you have to help figure it out and build, you know, mm -hmm. build the practice at the same time, right? Yep. And, and I think the curiosity and the problem solving skills are super important. And I think there's a lot of parallels to, to kind of what you're talking about. Right. Um, yep. Yeah. But I totally, like, I totally agree with Angela's comment, like problem solving ability has to be like, has to be top notch. Um, so, you know, they need to, they need to either know the platform or have the aptitude to learn the platform. And then everything else is essentially what we just talked about. Right. Um, and then, and then the next step is how do you get that person up to a level where like, whereas like in my own case that you could go on vacation for two weeks and know that like the ship's not going, you know, the ship is going to be taken care of. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's not or a lot of manual keep floating. Right. And yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, right. So, and there's not a lot of manual, like there's the manual, like the training material on like the, the marketing automation systems are, Okay, here's how you do X, Y, Z in the in the system. Here's how you execute X, X, Y, Z campaigns. 
but ultimately like everything is contextual in our organizations and that has to be you know there's no training manual you know you know hot take we suck at documenting so you know if anybody on this call is really good at documentation i'd love to talk to you um but a lot of cases um a lot of cases, it's just, you know, going into the systems, figuring things out, using the documentation that does exist and the best practices that are within our organizations. Um, and then when I trained, um, like, my new hire, um, who has all of those care qualities, um, very curious, great problem solver, asks really good questions. I think that's something um, that we didn't cover on, but, like, somebody who can ask really good questions because... Sure. You know, um, but piece of advice I got from um, Christina Zinga, who's my um, champ mentor, was get them to document your processes. So, you know, you've got somebody that's new um, and needs to learn, like, how do we do things? And we have a time challenge with documentation, a.k.a. my, you know, we suck at documenting comment, is you get, you get, to, um, you get two benefits. One, you get to train somebody and like help them understand like how the system works, how our processes work, help them to also understand the why. Um, that's a big, that's a big piece of it. Um, but also you get document, you also get good documentation as, as a byproduct. Um, right. That was the number one piece of advice I got. And then the number two piece of advice that I would give is don't train them. Like, let them train themselves. So if somebody, if a new hire comes to you with, with a question and is expecting you and all of us get into this trap from time to time, and sometimes we don't have time for this, um, where they'll ask, you know, how do I do this? Or I like, I did this campaign. What do you think of it? Um, and partly because we're used to being experts and we are experts. And if we're a leader of a team, we got promoted because we're an expert. Right. Right. So, but our tendency is to just regurgitate information back to them of, well, this is how it's supposed to work. Okay? But ultimately, like you want them to own it. You want them to like think for themselves. So the biggest piece of advice I would give is it's going to take longer to train this way, but the benefits far outweigh kind of the upfront costs is ask them good questions. Ask them, well, how would you do this? Um, what is your thought process rather than just giving them the information? Because then, then they're taking it and they're, they're owning it. And then you can, have, you, you can have a conversation from there rather than a, they ask a question, you give an answer type yeah. of conversation. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's sort of a, a great way of just coaching, right? It's like they have to think about the problem first, right? And kind of, you know, really, um, yeah, really think it through, right? And then mm -hmm. present the solutions, right? Um, because if they do that, they're likely going to get to the, you know, to an acceptable solution, if not the right solution, right? Um, yep. And so on and right. so forth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And everybody's going to get wrong. Uh, yeah. at some point i mean falling, even, right? even those of us yeah exactly yeah and so you want you want is, to, go ahead. Go ahead. yeah and you want people to have their moops moment um and for them to understand when it happens that it's not the end of the world right, right. um you know and I think that 
you as a leader, like you're up, you know, your job is when they do something wrong, you ask them questions like how would you have done mm -hmm. this differently, right? Like what was your thought process? Mm -hmm. like, and so on and so forth. Absolutely. Right. And yeah. take it as a learning experience. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Cool. So wanted to now that we're in this topic of MOPS professionals, I'd love to understand, like for let's say, let's say, you know, it was day one at Trimble for you right? And, um, mm -hmm. and you just literally joined, right? Um, and you have a big role um, in the company. Mm -hmm. Like, how would you ensure that you're going to be successful in the company? What is your kind of like 30, 60, 90 day plan look like? Um, how do you build credibility, right? And, and who are you? Who do you build credibility with in the organization? Right? That's a really good question. And um... So I can, talk, I can talk a little bit of how I did it and possibly like some lessons learned having, okay. having the benefit of hindsight. Because clearly um, you've been at people for four years, obviously, mm -hmm. right? You're, you set yourself up for success. So would right, love to right. get, your, you know, get your story there. Yeah, so the first thing that my boss, Trisha Saunders did was she gave, um, she gave me kind of, a, kind of a lay of the land. Um, she, she would like to call it like who's who in the zoo um, of who's the, you know, who are the players in the organization that I need to know um, and what their roles and responsibilities are and how, what I do relates to like how they're going to like achieve their objectives, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's very important, like, Kind of the two things I would start with is learn who's in the organization, who um, who you need to build alliances with, who you need to um, who you need to kind of develop a business partnership with, um, and then number two is understanding you know how how the systems and processes work. Um, so, and the processes will happen through kind of having these one-on-one -on -one conversations with like the folks in the organization that are kind of the stakeholders. So I repeated this process when um, my team member joined my team. I handed her a list of people and said, I want you to, I want you to have one-on-one -on -one meetings with these folks and get to know right. what, you know, what keeps them up at night. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think another kind of, um, you know, one thing that I've, I've coached people on is, you know, here's a list of people that I, I feel are, you know, critical for your success. Mm -hmm. Try to understand why I, I selected yep, exactly. people, right? And um, and then tell me what your approach is going to be before you, you know, before you actually engage them, right? Because then right. they'll think about the greater organization, right? And they'll think about like the dynamics between, you know, between the, the various groups or, or the people themselves and, mm -hmm. and how to work cross-functionally, right? And, and, and get that sort of successful outcome. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be different depending upon which organization you're in. Um, right. yeah. If you're in, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, like in, um, and, and ensuring that the mob professional is seen as, you know, as a, as a value add there. Right. Yep, and, exactly. And oftentimes sales kind of um, sees folks as blockers rather than being helpful. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and, and I think that's a, you know, the moment that that happens, I feel like, it's going to be a hard hole to kind of climb out of, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, so I'd love to get your your thoughts into kind of building credibility with sales. And I think 
now that we're kind of the sales topic, I'd love to dive in a little bit more about uh, just <laughs> sales and marketing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'd like to answer, kind of finish answering the kind of previous question, yep. which kind of dovetails into here because like, so ultimately you've got it, you know, that credibility gaining is a really huge part. Like you want to, you want to establish your reputation as a problem solver, like, like ultimately. And so you want to look for quick wins to get them there. Um, and so in my world, it was, you know, I helped somebody like with essentially setting up their lead management process. They wanted to like funnel leads to sales in a very predictable way. Um, and that was a huge win. Um, and it ultimately became, you know, kind of a career builder for me within the organization because I essentially replicated a lot of that process, you know, mm -hmm. from, you know, from division to division to division. Um, as well as the little simple things like how, like, you know, the question that I always joke about is like, why didn't so-and-so get this email? You know, when you can demonstrate like that you're able to problem solve and kind of give an answer to that, and it may not be an acceptable, you know, an answer that they want, mm -hmm. um, but at least they, they know here's, you know, here's somebody who can help me solve these problems in even kind of really basic problems like that. Um, it establishes creative credibility. And we're, as marketing operations people, ultimately in our organizations to be problem solvers, you know? And even the, you know, in the agency world, like you're essentially there to help your, you know, help your clients solve their problems or, you know, or meet needs that they are unable to do kind of from a staffing perspective. So, right. um, but also the quick wins is very important when working with sales. Um, so, and I think sales and marketing alignment is like, it's the issue that we talk about a lot, um, but it's the issue that we're rarely ever really able to solve. Um, Why is that, Chris? It's, it's, it seems to be like the classic issue, right? That, that, mm -hmm. that we're trying to solve and, um, you know, and it, it, it still seems like, you know, it is a problem that exists in, in most organizations out there. Right. And, yep. uh, and like, let's, let's try to define it really quickly. Right. And kind of get, get sort of to, to assess or like, what is, what is a lack of alignment mean? Right. And what is the impact to the business when that happens? Do you have any thoughts on, on, on that? Yeah. I mean, what a lack of alignment essentially means is that like, ultimately your sales and marketing team are operating with two different agendas. Um, that, like if I could kind of nail it down to one thing, it would be that um, sales is kind of working on their agenda. Marketing is working on their agenda. And essentially you, you have no synergy in your revenue operations at all in this world. So essentially you're, you've got a marketing organization that is focusing on creating, creating like high quality leads for the sales force. Um, and, if that alignment doesn't exist, then people aren't being called, opportunities are getting missed. Um, in some cases, sales creates opportunities like that are unreportable, that do have like tons of marketing influence, that now marketing is like having to spend lots and lots of time trying to justify that they influence that deal, which steals time away steals creative time away from like actual marketing 
work that's generating revenue for the organization, for example. Right, right. Um, so you've got like, you know, you've got marketing creating creating leads that either aren't being followed up on either because A, does sales doesn't value the leads, which means marketing isn't focusing on the right things. Um, or perhaps they are focusing on the right things, but then you don't have an alignment with sales where they're following up on the, you know, they're following up on the leads and following a process that allows uh, allows a 360 degree view of like the entire revenue funnel. So now you've got a reporting problem because marketing is either under-reporting or over-reporting um, sure. their influence. And then, you know, it creates a credibility problem with marketing, primarily in the organization. Generally, like sales is in, you know, from a reporting perspective, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward to kind of measure kind of the impact of sales. I've got like, I've got 10 reps, they've got a quota, they got a territory, and, you know, they're going to put their orders through the CPQ system and they're going to, at the end of the day, they're going to, they're going to have an attainment to quote, uh, right. you know, that is. They hit like, their number or not, right? That's they it. hit right. their number or not. And um, so in, in the marketing world, like our, like what we deliver to the business, if it's not defined by process that's agreed to both by sales and marketing, um, and then you and both parties aren't like, don't see themselves as part of the same team. It's really difficult for marketing to, you know, essentially justify our existence uh, because that ultimately what it comes down to. If we're, if we're, if we intend to be revenue marketers, then we need to be able to definitively say similar to the way a sales rep would. So Bob and Sally, you know, brought in these deals and they're at X percent of quota. Like ultimately, if we're going to really call ourselves revenue marketers from the organization's perspective, we need to be able to do the same thing. And without like a clear, clear process and a clear kind of definition of how that's done, that's where you start creating like the finger pointing. That's where you start creating like all of the, all the spreadsheets, which finance probably won't believe anyways because it's not tied not tied to anything that they can they can point to and say here this ex this, this this marketing contributions to revenue, this right? marketing contribution turned into this opportunity yeah. and i know we've all seen that meme where like you've got the two cheerleaders that are one one cheerleaders up on the top of the other and it's the sales rep and the deal and then below there's like 48 marketing touches and word of mouth and blah 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 um so we all joke about that, but the reason that exists is because we're not able to, we're not able to definitively and um, defensively tell that story. So that story doesn't get told very often. I've seen this play out in 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 previous companies, obviously, right? And um, mm -hmm. and more often than not, um, and I think this is probably related to an article that you wrote in LinkedIn, which is, you know marketing's customer is sales, right? Internally. Mm -hmm. uh, and similar to the customer success world, right? Like if your customer is not happy and it is, doesn't seem like you're adding value, you likely will lose that customer, will result in a churn, right? Um, to the business mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, um, will get replaced, right? Yep. And from the solution. Mm -hmm. so, so I'd love to understand like, 
you know, your your years at Trimble and other companies, it, it seems like, you know, you've seen strategies and tactics, you know, even tactics that have worked to like literally bridge the divide between between the two groups, right? Like what are those, if you can provide examples, what was the context um, in which sort of um, these things were, were, were you know, happening? And, um, and I'd love to kind of understand that. Sure. Yeah, and the the example that I'd probably talk to the the most, and so before I even talk through the example, like the things that are absolutely required, and I think we in as marketing operations professionals have a have a role to play because we're able to be the mediator between sales and marketing. Like, right. you know, us, our counterparts in sales operations, um, are able to kind of bring people together from a from a people and process standpoint, because ultimately they're going to do all of this alignment is going to happen through the systems. So ultimately we can't see ourselves just as systems people, even though like 80% of our job is specifically related to the system. So we have to see ourselves, um, we have to see ourselves as like influencing the people and process, because that's essentially what the systems are there for. Um, but ultimately, we can be the mediator of this process. We're not going to be able to, like, we'll be able to get the process working. We're able to, like, set our, you know, what's an MQL, what's a, you know, what's an SQL, all of those, all of those things that we all know how to do. Um, but ultimately, like, we're able to, we're able to get, like, the systems to do the right things. But ultimately, there's a side of, like, getting the people to do the right things as well. Um, so ultimately, that, we have a part to play in that, but we don't have, like, we don't have complete ownership in that. We don't have complete agency in that. Um, and that's where, like, getting your marketing teams and your your dimension teams, your marketing managers, and getting your sales teams, your sales directors, your sales VPs, your sales development teams, um, and to some degree, your VP of sales into the room and getting them to agree on some very basic principles. Mm -hmm. um, so ultimately, you know, what is, what is sales priorities? What are marketing's priorities? Um, what is a lead? Like just very basic definitions. Yeah. Um, marketing and sales don't agree with that, like on that definition. And that's okay. That's what, that's what MQL and SQL are there for. <laughs> Which uh, ultimately these conversations go into like MQL, SQL, oh my gosh, you know, because that's, uh, we just go through the same cycle. Like if it's, if it's just a every time process, there's a new character, in the front, you know, like you go through it again, yeah. right? Like, right, exactly. So, so, right. And so ultimately, like who's right in the, you know, in that definition of a lead? And the answer is everybody's right. It depends on what stage the lead is in. So you know, an MQL, you know, the way we understand it and everybody's got their different methodology. In fact, I've posted some salty things on LinkedIn about like, you know, should we even be thinking about MQLs anymore? Mm. Um, so it is based on how your, you know, how your marketing organization, your sales organization are intended to align. Um, but ultimately, like you Sales and marketing have to agree on priorities and they have to align on those priorities because marketing's customer is sales. Marketing ops customer, I believe also is sales because ultimately if, and what I mean by that is if we are not doing 
our best to make sure that the leads that they get are high quality, the leads that they get are actionable, and that and they, they can they understand the why, right? Like, and they understand the why, but also that the system is easy to use. Um, and that's the part that gets me a little fired up is when the systems are not easy to use, the first thing sales is going to do is stop using the systems. Mm -hmm. That's, and that goes back to that point that you were bringing up. So we, we have to make the systems easy to use and we need to, we need to understand that sales, sales KPIs are easy. Like I hit my number. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm above the line where they're going to, they're going to cut me. You know, I had a good year. I get to stand on stage and get, you know, get president's club and all that stuff. Their KPI is really easy. Um, so, and I, ultimately that's why I would advocate for SDR to, for creating a sales development function. Because mm. ultimately, like, especially in larger, like when you're selling um, larger ticket item deals where you're talking about, you know, three month sales cycle, six month sales cycle at Electo, where I used to work, it was like 18 to 24 month sales cycle. And they even considered it more like a 10 year sales cycle. Ouch. But yeah, because well, and ultimately it was just a replacement game for them, for, right. for them in the linear accelerator space. But ultimately like the engaged selling cycle is about 18 to 24 months. Um, that sales rep is not going to follow up on MQLs. They don't care. I've, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to spend my time following up on a hundred webinar attendees, or I'm going to work this deal that's going to close in the next quarter. That is going to, that's going to sell for eight million dollars and is going to get me my commission for the year. Right. Yeah. Right. What is a rational individual going to do? They're going to work. They're going to focus on the deal. Right. So ultimately, that's the you know the high level business case for SDRs is you create a function that is there to sift through all the stuff that we generate. Some of it is really good. If we're using if we're using scoring to bubble up people, some of it's you know some people are not ready you know, and we need we need some kind of filter. And there is technology out there that allows us to do that. Like there's tools like you know, Conversica, there's some other AI, like assistant tools that are out there. Sure. Um, I think ultimately you do need to have a person because you need to put a human touch at some point. And that human touch needs to be somebody that, again, I would argue doesn't need, doesn't have a quota, but ultimately that's a, that's a decision of the organization. But ultimately, like what I would argue for is that you need to make it as easy on that person that has that you know one million dollar quota that is worried about like every every month am i going to be above the line am i going to you know am i going to hit my commission am i going to be able to feed my family it's a very simple decision for them we got to make it very easy for them to sell so however we do that um if we're going to be successful we have to do that that's our number one job and you know so, and ultimately that's where we come into play is, you know, we want to, you know, that's kind of the filter that we should run all these decisions for like around like lead scoring and threshold score, or whether we even send like threshold leads to our sales team, you know, is this going to make the sales job easier or is it going to make it harder? Um, is it going to be valued by people who have like 
heavy quota pressure or is it going to be seen as a burden? You know, those type of things. Yeah. So I think the other side is like marketing and sales need to understand each other's priorities. They need to know like marketing needs to understand <coughs> here's what, you know, here's what sales, you know, here's what the sales incentives are. Um, here's, you know, here's what we're trying to, here's what we're trying to push. This is what, um, this is ultimately like if, you know, if they sell this mix of product, you know, sales is going to hit like their quota, they're going to get kickers or whatnot. Um, um, and if marketing is doing campaigns that are outside of the, you know, outside of that scope, then you're creating a lot of leads for things that the sales team really doesn't care about selling. Right. I, I know this, you know, um, and then common, and then similarly, sales needs to understand what marketing is doing. They need to understand the marketing campaigns. They need to be as versed in the marketing campaigns as the, as the marketing VP is, because mm -hmm. ultimately they get, you know, they get a lead from you. So they get an alert that says, Hey, this person MQL'd and they need to have some context around this mm -hmm. or else they're either going to a discard it or B they're just going to do their, you know, they're going to do their regular pitch and kind of hope that it converts. We need to give sales information so that they can, you know, they understand why they understand the why. Mm -hmm. um, and because ultimately, kind of events. Yeah, because ultimately, yeah, because ultimately they're going to be. If you don't do that, then they're just going to be reacting, and you need to make it easy for them to get that intelligence. Got it. Because you know, again, you know, it it comes down to. They have a very simple job, and anything that you put at in their plate that deviates them from that very simple job, especially, especially if they're having a bad year is, is not going to get the attention that we want. Right. So yeah. that would be ultimately my advice. And then ultimately, you know, having the agreements, having the definitions decide, defined, having buy-off from sales management, all of those things, and then having the system set up, like all of those things are things that we need to do, but we also need to think of, we also need to think about like the broader alignment um, in terms of priorities, in terms of like who's doing what. Um, and um, for, and making sure that our people in process are aligned to get us the results that we want. Yeah. Which is ultimately we want to be able we did these marketing campaigns and we generated this revenue. We want to make, our systems need to be designed to support that story. Got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It seems like there's sort of a few things around the alignment at the, mm -hmm. at the kind of the leadership level, right. Getting that and mm -hmm. then cascading that down to everyone documenting that and, and, and likely iterating on that because it's, you know, like the moment you kind of get to an agreement, right. Yep. You know, Quarter later, mm -hmm. things the business might change, right? And and now you have to yep. pivot and adjust. Mm -hmm. right? um, yeah, you brought up a really good point. It's like if you if you set it, forget it. It's gonna it's gonna get lost at some point. Right. So you have to you have to continually iterate. It's not a one time conversation. Yeah, because similar to like leads that you you feed, let's say to an SDR, right? Um, the I, I often hear comments around, well, how come last quarter this lead was, you know high quality and now this quarter this lead is not high quality but it seems like they should be high quality right um why are we not capturing those kinds of things it's just like tactical things like that i feel like right mm -hmm. should be captured it should be like should have 
a feedback loop that's kind of you know happening, particularly to like marketing ops, right? And um, and then they're incorporating that into the next iteration of, of the agreement, and so on and so forth. Um, yep. One of the other things that I feel like uh, have I've heard from other folks, Chris, and I don't know if you've, you've done this you know, in, in the past, is like try to walk in the shoes of, let's say, the rep, right? Whether it's an SDR mm -hmm. or, or an AE, like literally, you know, take a day, like during your, your first 90 days onboarding and then mm -hmm. do your job, right? Yep. <laughs> then, do a ride around. Yeah, do a ride around. Um, um, also, like when you're, when you just, like drop your like your lead management process. You've trained the sales force. Um, you know, get on one-on-one -on -one calls with your reps, um, and you know they'll they'll usually be very open with you about like you know where they're struggling. Um, I remember when I did this, like I've done this for the first times. Generally, like the sales reps will give you a lot of detail about like, especially if it's somebody that they know. Um, um, and you get to hear the sales reps thought process and also understand like, you know, how people are getting into the, you know, how people are getting into the marketing funnel, how they're engaging with this. So sales get sales provides a lot of insight into like into our process, but also like kind of the mind of the customer. Um, and if you're not aligned, you don't really get that richness. Right. Totally. Um, and so we, we have about 10 minutes. I want to get to the topic that, that I feel like you're, you're, um, is really important to you, um, which is around mental health in general. Right. And, um, I think during the pandemic, um, you know, a, a few things kind of happened, right. Um, most folks, if, you know, if not the majority of people working in, in software companies and SaaS companies, like work from home, right? And, um, mm -hmm. and one of the things that, the challenging things with that, and I think that's still happening today, challenging thing with that is that sometimes there's no division between like, here's work and here's kind of, you know, your like personal time, right? And mm -hmm. and I think that kind of affected a lot of, uh, you know, that, that's, that's um, you know, appeared, you know, as an issue in terms of ment mental health, right? Um, do you think there's anything specific like within just the MOPS profession itself where mental health um, is is kind of affected disproportionately compared to other types of professionals? I don't know if I can speak to other type of types of professionals, but yeah. it definitely, I mean, both from my own experience, um, one reason I talk a lot about mental health is because I realized, you know, especially during the pandemic that I needed to do things to set boundaries for myself um, to maintain my mental health and not looking at it as from a, I'm not doing my duty perspective. In fact, I view it very much as like, I'm doing the, my duty to the organization to be able to bring my full self to work. Right. Um, right. Which um, I think a lot of us, especially people in my generation, I'm a Gen Xer. Um, we, like we, we went into the work world and, you know, we probably had like maybe two weeks of vacation, 10 days. And like five of that was kind of allocated to like all the obligations we had during the holidays. Um, and we almost saw it as a, like a badge of courage not to take vacation. Like, yeah, you know, we would just, we would just bank up our vacation. And, you know, when we moved to the next job, that was kind of seen as kind of a bonus, if you will. 
Um, and I think that mentality, like, and I can't speak for other generations. I can speak for my own. Um, but that mentality of like, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to grind it. I'm going to like, you know, I'll, you know, the mention kind of the comment, like I'll sleep when I'm dead, those type of things. Like those are real, very real attitudes that and I also think exist within marketing operations. Cause we're all, you know, I can't speak for all of us, but like there, there's a lot of very a type people, a type professionals in marketing operations. We're go-getters, um, you know, kind of take that, you know, take that attribute to kind of what we talked about before. Um, but there's a downside to that is if we work ourselves, like we work ourselves really hard and we don't take time for ourselves and we don't take time to, to unplug, then we will experience burnout. Like, and a lot of us, like during the pandemic, you know, because I'm on the boards, I'm on the same boards as everybody else. Like we're, we're definitely, we're definitely feeling the brunt of like, we're, you know, we're asked to do twice as much. We're not getting FaceTime. We're on six hours of Zoom meetings. Um, and then, you know, we're working, you know, working 10, 12, 14 hour days to try to get our, like our, you know, day job work done. And it takes a toll on us, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I believe very strongly that we were not designed as humans to do that. Like we were designed for like kind of this cycle of work and rest. Um, and a lot of us think that the rest part is optional, but eventually it is going to catch up to us. Yeah, um, I, think you're, I think you're right. Um, in, in my kind of professional career as well, right? Um, like some of the comments you had made around uh you know you work till you're dead you know kind of thing um i mean i've done all those you know in, in the past mm -hmm. and, and it's you know um it's like what was expected right um in certain mm -hmm. in certain um environments and um and and i've learned since that like the company actually is uh is at risk right mm -hmm. because do that that have folks that believe that or have a culture around that will likely lose people right and um mm -hmm. first thing you lose is kind of like a million dollar problem right like uh right because it's folks are expensive right um right but yeah. well and there's also like it's also not just the losing people by like attrition yeah. but there's also losing people by they just like if essentially essentially they burn out and you get you're getting about half of them or not even that at work yeah. You know, yeah. where like you're once like super highly engaged and then, you know, you don't take time, you don't just dis disengage, you don't um, unplug. Um, and eventually, like you're naturally going to go into that world, even though you're kind of like you're still at your desk, have the same expectations and whatnot. Right. So um, then what would be and your... that's not a good. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um... Like, what would be your advice, right, to, to folks that are struggling to kind of establish a good balance, um, you know, between between work and, and life? Yeah. Well, number one is definitely set re reasonable expectations with yourself. Um, um, I think, first of all, we need to kind of we have to have a realistic expectation of what we are personally able to accomplish. Um, and then that also translates to like setting those expectations with you know, the, with our organizations, with our bosses. Um, 
I have a wonderful organization, wonderful boss um, that encouraged me to just recently take a huge chunk of time off. Um, I'm really, I was really blessed in that regard. Um, but also like, you know, use your PTO. Um, don't, don't do what I did in my twenties and try to just bank it. Um, and, you know, find times during the day to, to unplug, have those little, like those little breaks so that you're not like continuously on a screen for six hours mm-hmm. and just fried at the end of the day. Those, yeah. those type of things. So like, you know, exercise, I do like, I do periodic walk breaks between yeah. meetings when I have t- breaks in my schedule. Um, trying to think of what else, you know, find hobbies, invest in those hobbies. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like kind of going back to an earlier thing that we talked about, um, you know, invest in your organization, like invest in people who can back you up because, um, I think one of the fears that we have, especially as we're teams one, is that if we don't, like if we leave, the, the ship is going to like sink. Um, and ultimately, that's not a good position to be in. Not only are we not growing in our career and moving up, but we really can't take a vacation and feel like, you know, feel comfortable with it. So having people that you can trust to do, like trust to do your job and keep the ship afloat is like really huge and and also it gives them an like it gives them an ability your team members an ability to stretch and grow as a professional um because they're looking for opportunities to do that too i mean ultimately if we move up they have the same ambitions they want to move into our jobs so yeah so so by the way chris i'll challenge you about like being part of generation x because i'm gen x but you know i think we we change over time to become gen y you know why because Why? We ask questions. Anyways, so we have about a couple minutes left. I'm not sure if we can um, extend it, but if there are any questions, um, I'd love to. I'd love to, um, you know, have Chris answer them. But um, you know, in lieu of that, um, thank you, Chris. This I think was was very insightful, um, and uh, and just really appreciated the time that you, that you took to to do this. And I think uh, this will be really good content um you know for for people not just that are currently in this um you know in this episode right now live but also you know that would want to essentially watch it um yeah so um what would be the best place for people to connect with you if they wanted to connect with you uh definitely on linkedin so my linkedin um i'll share i could share my linkedin profile yeah if you um, you don't chat yeah before we Sign off. That'd be great. Sure. And and either I have like was a really great presenter and answered everybody's questions or or everybody's asleep because I was I was hoping to see some more comments in the in the chat. Um, But um, thank you guys all for attending. Um, Yeah. One thing I um, did want to mention on like the mental health thing, um, a couple of like influences that really kind of helped me kind of think through um, things. And one I shared on my LinkedIn profile um, was um, I read a book um, by a guy named Mark John, John Mark Comer called the, um, the ruthless elimination of hurry. Um, and so it's, it's a book that's written from a Christian perspective. So, but don't let that intimidate you if you're not into that. Um, but 
it really helped me set some boundaries, like taking, you know, taking time to taking time to rest and, and looking at like those rhythms and such, as well as setting a boundary around email. That was a big, um, that was a big aha. And I, I'm not always really perfect at following that. Um, but I think email like steals a lot of our, um, steals a lot of our attention and steals a lot of our productivity and also steals away a lot of our mental health if we don't let it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another influence is like my first week at Trimble, um, there was a uh, coworker of mine that was on my team at the time, um, who was from Finland. Um, and uh, folks in Europe take like three week vacations all the time. So I worked in European companies um, and I made an observation that like my European coworkers weren't less productive, but they were a lot more happy than we were. And I thought, well, maybe there's something to this, you know, but it's so outside of our American, like so outside of our American um, culture, because we are workaholics. Let's just like call us, you know, call it what it is. Um, and so I was having a conversation with this coworker and she mentioned, you know, from Finland and she mentioned that there was like some, you know, some scientific studies that were done that, that kind of said that the ideal time to be off to where you're like, you're fully recharged. You have time to actually kind of catch up, like let your, uh, let your soul catch up to your body, uh, which is a phrase I love to use. Um, it was roughly about three weeks. Um, and if you think about it, like early in the year, I took a one week vacation and it wasn't until about Thursday where I really felt like I was unplugged and I was, you know, kind yeah, of myself. Right. And then uh, you get into Friday and then the weekend, then you're starting to think about like the work week again. You, right. you're essentially, you kind of have this boomerang effect. Right. So, um, cause it's a hot take. I would, especially after this pastime, because I took almost three weeks and, um, and I would love to, like, I would love to see us as kind of an American work culture, start to normalize taking more time off and taking more extended time off to allow ourselves to, you know, let our souls catch up to our bodies. Um, awesome. And our organizations are going to benefit. I think this is the, you know, this is somewhat of a, you know, somewhat of a paradox is, you know, we give our full selves to work when we take enough time off to allow our full selves to recover, especially in the pandemic. Right. Because of all the cool. issues that you were talking about. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for that, Chris. I appreciate that, that insight. And um, I, I share a lot of that your thoughts as well um but um gotta wrap up here so like thank you everyone um for for attending this um and then make sure to sign up for next week's episode of mops confession it's going to be with andy karen uh he's vp of consulting at revenue pulse so she is awesome should be definitely definitely come to that she is awesome and it looks like she's a um twice over marketo engaged champion so you know, like she has all the credibility in the world. So um, looking forward to that. And again, thanks everyone.